Hey friend, you're listening to Truth Talks with Tara, a podcast dedicated to helping you know, love, and live God's word. I'm your host, Tara, and I am so glad that you're here. Each week, we'll dive into scripture together. We'll answer questions we all have about the Bible and about how to live for God, as well as learn from some of my amazing friends and guests. If you want to see how God's word can truly change your everyday life, this show is for you. My prayer is that we would all grow in our knowledge of God so that we can live boldly for Him. So, what do you say? Let's get into it. Well, as promised, we are back with a part two of the Q&A that we had last week. If you have not listened to it, I did a part one of some questions that you guys sent over on Instagram about dating, engagement, and married seasons, and we are kicking it off with part two today, and we are starting with a spicy question. So we're going to get into all the nitty gritty, but I just want to say thank you for being here. If you're new to the show before we get started, my name is Tara, and I am your friend. I am your Bible encourager. I'm your Bible study tip bringer, um, facilitator of conversations here on this show about how to live God's word, how to know, love, and live God's word, how to really understand his word as it's intended. We have some amazing guests that come on the show. We've had Ann Voskamp, we've had Sadie Robertson, we've had um, even just some people in my real life, my husband, my best friends, people have shared on the podcast, some other amazing people that you would know from social media as well, people that have written some of your favorite books. It is an amazing time over here and it is one of my greatest joys and my humblest joys to be able just to relay God's word with you here on the show. So I wanted to make that just a quick hello and virtual hug for you today. But without further ado, let's get into the conversation and let's get into some of the questions for this part two of our dating, marriage, engagement Q&A. Who's ready? Let's get it. Okay, so in the first part, I said that we are going to pick up with a really spicy question and someone asked, what is the purpose of sex in marriage and can it be sinful in marriage? Okay, this one, we're going there, okay? So first of all, let's just lay the groundwork of what the purpose of sex in marriage is. And so if we were to make a definition from God's word, which we're gonna unpack a little bit, but if I just had to give you a definition in pretty simple terms, um, it is a greater picture of God's relationship with us. Sex is a good gift from God. Genesis 1.27, um, God tells us that he created man and women, man and woman, sorry, to leave and cleave, leave their families, and then join together. So sex is a celebration of the one flesh relationship that God has established. And it's not only pleasurable for us, but it's also a symbol of the intimacy and just a taste of the love that God has for us, which seems kind of funny to think about having sex with your husband as a picture with God. Like it kind of seems weird and like uncomfortable to think about that sometimes, but really the pleasure and love and the wholeness and the connection that you feel when you're, you know, intimate with your husband is the reality and it's the taste and the the culmination that we're going to have when we get to heaven with God. That is the union and the covenant. Like when God says that we're married to each other in a covenant, we're also entered into a covenant with the Lord in our relationship through Jesus's sacrifice on the cross. So it's all just this beautiful metaphor. And it's also just a fun and good gift that God has given us here at Earthside because we haven't fully realized everything, obviously, that God has to offer us in eternity. So sex really also bonds a couple. It's not only the physical act of joining the union. It's also just a emotional, physical, spiritual experience. And 
Faith and purity before God really removes any shame, guilt, or feelings of this act being wrong. Hebrews 13.4 talks about that too, as long as we honor the marriage bed. So God says that we find the most satisfaction in marital intimacy. So when we are saving sex for marriage, we don't find that satisfaction and we don't find that beautiful, um, true relationship we were meant to be when we have sex outside of marriage. So I'm going to just give us a little bit of insight as well. So it stands to reason that the enemy, Satan, wants to do everything he can to encourage sex outside of marriage to defile it. He wants to ruin the beautiful picture that God has um, set since the beginning. So then also to kind of like wrap around and go back to the question, it also stands to reason that since Satan hates everything that God is about and Satan wants to hate the idea of sex, he also wants to discourage sex within marriage and also put shame on it in marriage so that Christians can't enjoy the true freedom and purpose and joy that Christ has laid out for us. Because when we're married, the gloves are really off. When we're married, we get to enjoy that intimacy without any guilt, without any shame, without any chains or anything associated to it. There is full freedom and full enjoyment because that's the way that God created it. And so it stands to reason that the enemy wants to tell us that it's sinful, that it's bad, that we should have guilt and shame even when we're married. I know that there are tons of people that may have had sex outside of marriage and then get married and feel that guilt and shame, which I know is a real thing. Like I know that that can be real. Although I saved myself for marriage and Michael and I were able to do that together, I know that's a real thing that people struggle with. But when we're in Christ, when we get married and we have that relationship with our husband, if we're truly repentant, like we can enjoy that freedom. And so I get why people ask, is it sinful? Is there anything that's ever sinful in marriage? 1 Corinthians 7, 2 through 5 talks about how we should always do everything out of love for one another, that there is nothing um, really off limits because there's freedom in marriage, but we should always um, do things out of love and respect and concern for our spouse. So if there's something that makes your spouse uncomfortable, if there's something that they are not okay with, they have a conviction about for some reason, some method or you know something about intimacy with each other, then we shouldn't do it out of respect and concern for the spouse but as far as just how you enjoy each other it's really just really up to you guys there's freedom in that and it's also as long as it's not sinful um, when it comes to porn when it comes to things like that if someone makes the argument of oh well we're married so like my husband can watch that or I can watch it or whatever but it's like we're married so like there, you know there's no limits on that that is lust and that is honestly a relationship, even if it's virtual, outside of the covenant that you have agreed to with your spouse. And so porn is so sinful and we cannot make an excuse that we can do that even if we're married. So that's something very sinful to stay away from. But as far as that, I would just encourage you, if you are married, if you are engaged and looking forward to being married, just to have conversations with each other about expectations, about what you're comfortable with, what you're not comfortable with, um, considering what would um, make other like your husband happy, how you could serve him in that way and how he can serve you in that way. A lot of um, really good things to think about there, but a really good clarification to know there's so much freedom in marriage and to remember that the enemy not only wants to defile God's view and God's beautiful design for sex outside of marriage, but he also wants to put guilt and shame on people in marriage where there should not be any guilt and shame. This next question is so, so good because I feel like I need to remind myself of this all the time. And um, a friend asked, how to encourage a husband without being nagging? 
Ooh, okay, I feel like this is preaching to my soul. I need this. I've been convicted of this. Um, I'm going to read a couple um, or just um, kind of just like bring up a few verses that I was thinking of. Um, 1 Thessalonians 5.11 is the verse that tells us to build one another up. Ephesians 4.29 tells us to not let any corrupting talk come out of your mouth. So those are only things that are speaking things that are good and necessary and full of grace. First Peter also tells us to keep loving one another earnestly. And I honestly think that's the key to encourage others and not only your husband, just encourage others without nagging, but specifically in this context, your husband, that's the key. True love produces true grace and kindness and encouragement. And if we're seeking to love someone out of the biblical model that God gives us in the Bible and how he teaches us to love, that should reflect in our words. So honestly, if you feel like you need to nag your husband to get things done or do something, to remember first and foremost your love for him and to remember that if we're focused on truly loving them as God loves us and as God loves the church, then true love will also bleed into like, you know, the fruit of the spirit, like love is one of the fruits of the spirit. So if we're focusing on that, that will hopefully and through the spirit's help really bleed into and just overflow into how we treat them and so if we're really operating out of that sense of love that will really help us do that but i also just want to encourage you something super practical is perhaps try and ask your husband if you feel like you're nagging him a lot lately to do something or you know get things done perhaps try asking him how he would prefer to receive that communication best how he would um, you know, prefer to receive that that criticism, that constructive criticism. Granted, we can't always accommodate um, the other one perfectly, um, but respecting your spouse enough to ask how they would appreciate being spoken to or reminded of things is really helpful. So maybe, for instance, you need your husband to do something he can't remember. You feel like you need to nag. Ask him, how can I help you? remember something the best. How can I not nag and help you? Would that be writing it down? Would that be texting you? Would that be um, giving you X amount of time before I ask you again? All these things, just being more considerate of like, okay, how can I help you? But then also in the same sense, holding them uh, accountable to that, to be like, okay, we're going to set this in motion, but also I want to make sure this happens, right? And the same thing for you. If there's something that your husband feels like, you know, he needs to nag you about, um, it goes both ways, right? In a relationship. Another thing I would encourage you is to affirm things over your husband, to call out the godly characteristics and attributes in him that you see are very honorable and very responsible. Also pray for him if you see an area that he's lacking in that you've been nagging about and then just hand it over to the Lord. Obviously, if your husband or honestly, any of this can turn around on us too. If there's something that we're lacking in, we need to be prayed for over it. We need to work on it too. But obviously, if your husband is sinning, then there's freedom and a need in your relationship and your marriage for you to call that to light. But I just encourage you more than anything to seek out the main motivator, which is our love that God has given us to produce that fruit of love. And then also communication, affirming, because I think the more and more we speak affirmations and we call out the good that we see God working in someone's life, um, the better we speak of one another, the better we consider and we think of one another, which helps us then not nag. This question is also super spicy because I feel like we're going to we're gonna dive into a verse that is really, really popular in this sense. And someone asked, some Christians say that if you have the desire to be married, then it will happen. Is that true? 
I'm going to say straight off the gate, this isn't true. Psalm 37, 4 is one of those verses that people take out of context a lot. It is the one that says, delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Um, and so a lot of times people take that verse and say, okay, well, if I have a good desire, if I have really any desire, then it says God will give it to me if I just desire it, if I just ask him for it, and it will just come to pass. And honestly, that is a secular idea of manifestation, that we believe we have the power enough, if we have positive enough vibes, if we put enough feelers out into the universe, whatever that things will come to pass. But honestly, it comes from this faulty belief that we have enough power in ourselves to create our own destinies. And it's not acknowledging the divine and sovereign power of the Lord. And so obviously marriage is a good gift from God and God loves marriage. God created it. But we also know from God that, you know, marriage isn't for everyone. God's word says that marriage will not be for everyone. But that also doesn't mean that we shouldn't pray about it and ask God and let our desires for it be made known to him. There's a verse in James that says that God is the giver of every good and perfect gift. He loves marriage. He ordained it. He is in it. But we should never go as far to say that if I desire something, I'm not even talking about marriage, but anything, that if I just desire it enough that it will happen regardless. God's will is the one that we should be bowed down to and surrendered in our entire life. I want to encourage you that if you have the desire to be married, that I want to affirm you in that, that that is a good desire. And if you desire to have a Christian marriage and you desire to have that relationship with someone, it is a beautiful desire and it is an honorable one. And you have all of the right to pray and ask the Lord about it and say, Lord, this is my desire, but to hold it open-handedly and say, Lord, I trust you. Lord, I am not entitled to anything. I know that I am a sinner in need of grace and that I don't even deserve to be saved, but yet you sent your son to be the gracious and merciful sacrifice that I could never be on my own. Own, that you took everything and you put it on your son Jesus when I deserve death, when I deserve nothing. And so we need to live in that humble just posture at the foot of the cross and be like, Lord, I know that I don't deserve anything, but you've poured out the best thing in my life and given me the opportunity to be saved. And so then just to know that, Lord, I can trust you with my desires. I can trust you with my desire to be married, whether you have that come to pass or not. That is a bold prayer to pray, friend, but it is the best one because it is exactly where we need to be and it is the safest place we need to be in the center of God's will. Our family has had to make a lot of sacrifices lately, and truthfully, it's been at times a hard season, but honestly, God has grown me in contentment, and he's really taught me to be okay, but also joyful going without some of these things. But something that I want to prioritize and I don't want to skimp on is what we eat. So Thrive Market to the rescue. Visit thrivemarket.com slash truthtalks for 30% off your first order, plus you get a free $60 gift. You know I have a growing toddler who is constantly eating, running around, burning calories, and developing like crazy. And Hunter has honestly been a huge motivator to me in all areas of life just to step up. So when he started to eat more, I realized just how formative of a stage he's at. And I wanted to find a place that not only helped me save money on groceries, but nourished Hunter, myself, and Michael. In my last Thrive Market order, I saved $70. Yes, $70. How insane is that? We stocked up on tons of protein-rich granola bars, meat sticks, and pantry essentials on our last order. I always have bars and snacks in my purse from Thrive, in Hunter's bag, and my bag. We never leave the house without them. Here's another really cool thing about Thrive Market that I think you're going to love. When you join Thrive Market, you also help a family in need with their one-for-one -one membership matching program. You join they give how amazing. 
Join in on the savings with Thrive Market today and get 30% off your first order plus a free $60 gift. Go to thrivemarket.com slash truth talks for 30% off your first order plus a free $60 gift. That's T-H-R-I-V-E market.com slash truth talks. Thrivemarket.com slash truth talks. This episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. Okay, friend, you know that we're all about breaking stigmas and lies from the enemy with the truth of God's word on this podcast. There is power in the name of Jesus to break strongholds and set us free. That's why I need you to lean in for a moment and I have something to tell you. Are you ready? It's not weak to seek help. There can be a huge stigma around mental health, counseling, and therapy as Christians. And most of us, and this used to be me, friend, believe that counseling and seeking help can be shameful or just for the people that are going through something tragic or life-altering. But you and I weren't created to be an island. We were created for community, which doesn't mean we're just around people, but being poured into by people. We need each other to give practical steps to move forward in faith and to cope with what's going on in our lives, both the big and the small. So if you're thinking about therapy, give BetterHelp a try. BetterHelp is a great option because it takes away all the excuses because it's entirely online and it fits around your existing schedule. It's as easy as this. Fill out a brief questionnaire and you'll get matched with a licensed therapist and you can switch therapists at any time to find your right match. So visit betterhelp.com slash truth talks and get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash truth talks. Next question is physical boundaries. How are they different in dating, engagement, and marriage? So honestly, I feel like these can look different for everyone in some specifics. And um, but I also think that there are some boundaries that are should be pretty straight across the board, should be um, pretty standard for Christians, not in a legalistic sense, because this is a key part. Our desire for putting boundaries up should always come from the proper spot. If we are putting up physical boundaries out of a place of legalism and out of a place just to check off a list, then we are missing the mark. But if it's from a place of honoring the Lord, then we will always be on the right track. Yes, we will always fail and boundaries will be broken and all the things and we'll mess up. Lord knows I have. But there's grace and forgiveness if we're striving to honor the Lord. And if we are keeping honor of the Lord at the forefront, it will um, it will help us. The Lord will guide us along that path and he will honor us in our boundaries as well and help us to keep them, although we do mess up at times. So in dating, the goal is to honor the Lord with our boundaries. In engagement, the goal is to honor the Lord in our boundaries. And in marriage, the goal is to honor the Lord. And there are some boundaries in marriage. We're going to talk about that too. We even just mentioned it above about, you know, just sex within marriage. There might be boundaries that you guys place that are healthy for your relationship, but there are some different things that I could maybe just um, present to you as possible starting places. But again, all these boundaries need to come back to the place of I want to honor the Lord and be pure and not sin instead of just be legalistic about it, right? So here are some possible boundaries for dating. And again, these all lead to help you remain pure, to um, just hopefully not have sex outside of marriage. It's all these things. And again, not in a legalistic way, but to honor the Lord. And so possibly maybe you would put up some boundaries like no kissing or making out because I know that leads and that can lead into some other things that you do not want to go into before you get married. Um, this could be maybe not being alone together all the time, maybe having people around, your parents, being in group friend settings. Um, this can maybe also 
also be a boundary in dating of not talking intimately with other people of the um, opposite gender. So for me, um, I still had guy friends. I still do have guy friends, but it's different because Michael was my boyfriend. Michael is my husband and I honor him. And I want to make sure that um, my heart and emotional intimacy does not go away to someone else, right? And then engagement, they can be very similar in engagement. Um, Things kind of ramp up because you're excited to get married. So maybe those boundaries need to be more intense, um, just more considered. And then in marriage, the gloves are really off in a lot of ways like we talked about. You can finally enjoy that sexual intimacy, but boundaries can be placed if there are things that your spouse isn't comfortable with. So for instance, um, rearranging the friend dynamic when you're married. So when you get married, you're going to things are going to change in your friendships and maybe your husband isn't as comfortable with you texting or talking or maybe going to hang out one-on-one with a guy because you're married now and honestly that should be something that is respected and it's a very valid thing so there might be some boundaries like that in marriage but again think about this in the context of your relationship and what are your goals again purity as far as you know staying pure in sexual intimacy should always come from a place of honoring the lord and striving to glorify him instead of being legal instead of just feeling like you're stifled and that you're missing out when you're walking in God's will when you're walking in the way that he's placed in our lives we are never missing out he has prepared us for something so good and when he tells us something that he wants us to stay away from when he tells us that something's a sin he's not doing it to be mean he's telling it to be so loving he's like I know that you're not going to find fulfillment in those things so follow me I don't want to spend a ton of time on this question, but I did kind of want to mention it because I got a few of them. And that was when you get cheated on when you're dating, should you make it work? I'm just going to encourage you, friend, to pray, to pray about this. Ask the Lord. I would say this is a huge case-by-case basis. There would need to be a lot more context. But I would say you need to consider, however, if you do get back together with that person who cheated on you, if they're truly repentant. I know we all have our own struggles and things that we deal with and our sins, but someone who has cheated on you, you know, whether that be physically, emotionally, whatever that may have been, that is something that could trickle down the line when you get more serious in dating or even in marriage, someone who is unfaithful. And so faithfulness in that respect is really important to think about. And so obviously I can't give you a definitive answer. I know there have been some couples that, you know, there have been, um, you know, cheating in physical ways and emotional ways, and they've still made it work. And the Lord has really blessed that and their marriages are great and thriving. And there's a truly repentant person. And that's the, the real key there. So I would just encourage you in that. The next question is, is it worth pursuing a relationship, even if you can't see God's hand in it yet? So I honestly think the simple answer in this is to follow the Lord. When there's blessing from the Lord and direction from the Lord, there will also be blessing in your life and in your relationship in this context. And so obviously, yes, sometimes we need to take steps of faith and be like, okay, Lord, I'm trusting you. You've given me multiple different avenues that aren't sinful, multiple different directions I could go. I'm going to take one. You let me know if I need to redirect. That might be one of those instances. But honestly, if it comes from the Lord, um, he will give you direction. He will give you confirmation in his word if it's sinful or if it's not something you should be doing as long as you're walking in step with the Holy Spirit. And that comes from being in his word. That comes from really listening to him and also people in your life. This question is also super fun. And that is what was the favorite part of my wedding day, a favorite part of my wedding day, and what was one of the hardest parts? So I would say two of my favorite parts were the fact that it was a small, intimate ceremony. Small for us was like 135, 140 people. Um, our wedding probably would have been like triple that size if it wasn't during the pandemic. But we're actually super, super thankful. It was so small and intimate. We knew everyone there. Um, we had conversations with everyone there. Um, we just felt like it was just our core 
more people. It was incredible. Um, one of the, um, another thing that I loved was our first look. I just love that. At first, for a long time, when I was younger, thought I didn't want to do a first look, but I loved it. I love that we got to have our own moment just to, because there's like jitters and stuff, you know? I mean, you feel anxious even though like you're getting married and you're so excited for the day. So it was a moment where Michael and I could just like let down. We read little vows to each other that we didn't have to read in front of everyone else. It was intimate. It was sweet. And so I loved our first look. As far as like the hardest parts, I would say the hardest part was not having certain family members there. We also had some family drama as we all do, but just during, uh, due to illness and just during the pandemic and such, we weren't able to have everyone there. And so that was really hard because there were so many people that I wish also could be there. Although, you know, we did enjoy the smaller ceremony. It's just hard. You know, there's just so many people that mean so much to you. So that was probably the most difficult thing for us, but ugh, the best day ever. <laughs> The next question is super, super spicy as well. And that was, is it okay not to date someone who is not a Christian but respects my faith? Someone also asked, is it okay to date someone who is agnostic? And what are your thoughts on that? And I'm just going to be straight. I'm going to be straight. No, it is not the smartest move. And I'm going to tell you why. You hear all the time that we need to be equally yoked in marriage or just equally yoked in general. So I want to read some notes that the Enduring Word commentary, um, you can find it online at EnduringWord.com, what they say about this. And it says, the idea of not being equally yoked, this is a note on 2 Corinthians 6 um, where it talks about this. Um, it says, the idea of not being equally yoked together is based on Deuteronomy 22.9, which prohibited yoking two different animals together. It speaks of joining two things that should not be joined. Being unequally yoked speaks of influence, um, the Enduring Word commentary says. Paul is not suggesting that Christians never associate with unbelievers. He makes this clear in 1 Corinthians 5. This principle is that we are to be in the world, but not of the world. Like a ship should be in water, but water shouldn't be in the ship. If the world is influencing us, it is clear that we are unequally yoked together with unbelievers. And this unequal yoke, or ungodly influence may come through a book, a movie, a television show, a magazine, even through worldly Christian friends, or and more importantly, sometimes your marriages. Most Christians are far too indiscriminate about these things that they allow to influence their minds and lives. So those were some notes from 2 Corinthians 6 from the Enduring Word commentary. And that is exactly it. I know sometimes people think, oh, well, I'm dating. I'm not married to someone who isn't a believer. But as a Christian, we should be really considering, okay, is this person someone that I could see marrying? Am I dating with intentionality that if it gets there, I could marry this person with a good conscience? So when we're dating someone who's not a Christian, when we're dating someone who doesn't share the most important part about us, which is our faith in the Lord, like we said, we're going to be not, you know, standing firm in our faith. And like that commentary says that we will be more influenced by the world than we are supposed to be. And so I know it's a hard thing and I've done it too. I've been in a relationship with someone who doesn't know the Lord. I think sometimes we think it's not that big of a deal, but the biggest part of our lives and the most important thing of our lives is our relationship with the Lord. And so if we are so intimately connected, even emotionally, I'm not even talking about sexual intimacy, which opens its own can of worms, but when we are connected with someone who is not a believer, we will be influenced by their lives. We can't share the same life values. Think about when you have kids someday. Think about how you're supposed to serve and honor the Lord if you don't share that core values. And so I would just say, equally yoked is the goal to find someone i'm not saying you can't you can't find the perfect man even when you're in marriage he's not gonna be the perfect man but you can't find the perfect man when you're dating and so just to find someone that is striving to honor the lord who has a true repentant heart who truly loves the lord and has given their lives to the lord is the goal i know it's hard to hear 
But really, I mean, we have free choice. We can date people who don't have a relationship with the Lord who aren't Christians. But is it healthy? Is it wise? Is it going to honor the Lord? And the short answer is no. I shared about this next question a little bit more with my friend Emma May McDaniel on our episode about newlywed advice and wedding planning tips, but someone asked how to budget slash make a wedding cheaper. A couple things that I would just really encourage you in is to prioritize your top three things. So what are the things that are most important to you as far as a wedding? Um, obviously, besides getting married and entering into that covenant, like as far as like material things for Michael and I, that was venue, photography, and food. And so those are the first three things we looked for. Those are the things that we were willing to spend the most money on and then everything else from there was less important and we were okay with not spending as much money on them you know getting maybe cheaper options I also think being flexible is really important too to making um, a wedding budget and sticking to a wedding budget and saving money being flexible with your expectations um, also maybe consider cutting out things that may not be as needful um, for me one of those things was wedding favors I didn't think it was that important um, a lot of people usually don't take wedding favors unless they're extravagant which then at that point, it's just costing you more money, right? And everything is different for everyone, but that is just a few things. Um, we have more tips in the episode with Emma that you can listen to back then, but those are my encouragements just for making a wedding cheaper and just more intentional, right? Another sweet friend asked, how do I increase my chances to meet a great guy? And I think simply is just to get out there, to get involved in you know in your church in your community um maybe your friends have a different friend group um honestly getting bold and inviting yourself to other things serving in your community serving in your church obviously not with the intention the sole intention to find a guy but obviously just to be like hey i'm gonna serve the lord i'm gonna get out in my community i'm gonna do more and be more active and then maybe if there is something or someone that i come across then great right i think that's really as simple as it can be and then as far as the next question um a sweet friend asked what is the ideal number of years to date before marriage honestly there isn't an ideal time frame and the bible does doesn't tell us like there's no verse that says date this guy for x amount of years before marriage honestly it comes down to a maturity your stage of life and really confirmation from the lord obviously you need to consider things like you know will we be able to sustain a family on our income and jobs at our current you know life situation our season and are we mature enough are we at a mature enough spot in life to commit to one person etc cetera, etc cetera. but i also like this idea you can take this or leave it but i like this idea that i've heard from people about dating for at least a year to see someone in all seasons and i'm not saying that 365 days is this magical number like oh after fall winter summer spring you'll know um i said those totally out of order um but i'm not saying that those are the things that you have to look for it's like this out of automatic like moment where everything is ready for marriage but this just gives a good baseline of how someone reacts in life it's really cool for you to see how they handle what comes in life and 365 days is you know a good amount of time for that but again, it really comes down to where you're at in life. It's very different from everyone else, right? And, you know, I'm not saying this is a standard by all means, but Michael and I started dating when we were like 17 and we dated for about four and a half, five years, but that's only because we were really young and we were in school and things like that. And we also realized like, you, know, you can't get married when you're 17, right? So we waited years and that was the Lord's specific timing for us. And so just prayer, confirmation from the Lord, he will give it to you. And he'll also make things um, just clear in your life too, as far as your work and your finances and your logistics. Like he will be like, this is the right time. And also just to lean on advice of people in your life. We're getting to the end of the questions. I know this is pretty lengthy, but it, like you guys sent the most amazing questions. I tried to dwindle it down and I even cut out a lot that I wanted to share, um, but I just had to do 
most of these. Um, the next question was, how do you make sure that you don't hold your boyfriend to husband standards too early? Ooh, this is a good one. I feel like I definitely did this and I understand why. Like when you're dating intentionally um, as a Christian, it's easy just to jump to marriage even though you're not married yet. And so I just encourage you to um, keep the proper perspective on where you're at in dating, that you're dating, and then enjoy that season instead of rushing ahead to the next. Um, look at how you can honor your boyfriend right now as someone you love and someone you like, but also as a brother in Christ, which can be this weird dichotomy, right? Like my husband Michael is my brother in Christ, which is really strange, but it's something that we have to live in the tension of. But I think when you're dating, so just look at ways that you can enjoy dating here and now and just enjoy the, just the um, enjoyment of just getting to know each other because it's so um, lighthearted, although you're dating intentionally and you're, you know, striving to be mature in Christ. Like when you're dating, like there's so much freedom and fun and just lightheartedness that you get in dating. Um, and just to remember that your boyfriend is not your spiritual head. When you are, when, anytime that you are not married, when you're not married, your spiritual head is your father. Your spiritual head um, comes from that authority. And I know there are people that don't have a present father figure in their lives. Thank goodness we have the Lord as our ultimate father. I just remind you that when you're dating, that he is not your spiritual head. You cannot look to him for that spiritual um, covering and counsel because he, that's not his role yet. When you are married, yes. So I think just keeping that proper perspective of that and then just also enjoying um, just the lightheartedness that is dating. And I think when we remember um, where we stand, um, it just really helps us not to hold him accountable yet. And also just give grace and know that we're all on the journey to be who God wants us to be. We're all being sanctified every single day. I'm going to keep this one super short and simple and not really go into it because we talked about it a lot, but I just want to reiterate it one more time. Someone asked, what's the purpose of dating? Um, honestly, again, the Bible has a lot of principles for us to follow, but um, dating and was actually not dating in Bible times. It was courting and it was a lot of arranged marriages, so it's different. But as far as the principles that we can apply to this modern idea of dating, um, the purpose of dating is to get to know someone and see if they are a marriage potential. Again, 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 I am not saying that you have to marry the first guy that you date because he has to be married potential right away but dating should be with maturity also we need to enjoy dating like not make it so serious sometimes I feel like sometimes we get so fixated on the next season that we don't enjoy the one we're in now but dating should be something that we take with maturity and be like okay I am living this life with this person to see if that I can you know, be married to them to see if God wants me to be married to them with the purpose of glorifying and honoring the Lord. That's what it all comes down to. I'm going to wrap up the Q&A with this question and that is, how did Michael and I wait until marriage? I think there are a lot of things that we did, but it just really comes down to a couple things, um, boundaries, perseverance, encouragement from other people, conviction from the Lord, and also, this is the biggest thing, understanding why it's important to wait before marriage. We talked about this earlier and the beauty of, you know, sexual intimacy with in marriage and why we should really keep that covenant holy first of all just because god says so and two because that's the way it was created to be enjoyed the best and so i think when we keep the why the motivation of why we do something in our minds it helps us although we may fail at times it helps us to really keep that proper perspective because we although we, you know, just had our struggles like any other couple and it's difficult and it's hard. Like we always kept in the back of our mind, that's the way to honor the Lord. And that's the way that we can find the most enjoyment. And then when we got married, we're like so thankful we did that because we really see the fruit of that and we can enjoy that fruit forever. And so I just want to encourage you in that is that just to remember your why in the Lord, to keep boundaries, not out of legalism again, like we've said, but just to honor the Lord first and foremost and know that if you wait with perseverance and hope and God grants that desire of yours to be married, 
married, you will get to enjoy that forever and be like, Lord, I see it. I get it. Like, I know that it is so good and it was so right for me to wait. But in the same vein, we don't have to wait until we get married to be like, oh God, I see now why you had that perfect design for me to wait for marriage. We can understand and see it now because God's word says that it's the best way for us to live. We can believe it now and we can pray for God to help us to stay strong, to persevere and to endure the race that God has set before us. All right, you made it through two parts of this Q&A on dating, engagement, marriage, all of the things. If you didn't listen to the first episode, you should go back and listen to it. You don't necessarily have to listen to these in any order. It was just a joy to be able to make this a two-parter because there's just like so much that we were able to dive into. And I'm so thankful that God's word informs us on these areas of our lives and that he just has so much to say and so much wisdom and so much beauty in the way that God really designed a lot of these things. I also just am really appreciative of you for sticking around and even maybe hearing some of my personal opinions. Again, take it or leave it, unsolicited advice, but just to be able to walk this journey with you in whatever season you're with is an honor. It's a humble, humble opportunity that I really don't take lightly. And I'm just thankful that we get to do life together and we get to seek after knowing, loving, and living God's word together. I love you, friends. I will talk to you in next week's episode. Thank you for being here. I will see you soon.